Matthew chapter 9, and uh, we are going to let the Word have its work today, and whenever you open the Scriptures, the Scriptures, this is the sword of the Spirit. That's very important uh, because the Word is the sword of the Spirit, and uh, please, while we're preaching today, be in prayer for those who are ill. We have a lot of people that are ill um, some are attending a funeral service today for their loved one that has passed, and, and I'll be telling more about that. Uh, but here in Matthew chapter 9, this is a, a great story found here. And so let's all stand, if you will, one last time to stretch. And uh, Matthew chapter 9, in verse number 9, and it says this, And as Jesus passed from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, Never whisper around Jesus. Come on now. I love this. You know, my sister can test the hearing of children. When my niece and nephew were young, it would be she would call their name, and Kimberly was like, they're not answering. And Kimberly would say, let's, let's test their hearing. My sister would pick up a piece of candy and wrap the wrapper, and those kids would be like, I'll take some. And it was like, okay. You can hear. Uh, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, uh, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. This is interesting. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am, come to, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have a two-part title this morning. The first part is this, doctor's orders, doctor's orders. And let's talk about this amazing passage. Before we pray, Jesse, good to see you again. Before we pray, it's going to be a little bit, what I'm about to tell you will be odd to you until we get to the very end. I believe this scriptural truth is what will make us live for Christ the rest of our life. There is this fear among young people and there are reports that go out that our young people, when they grow up and they get 18 and 19 and 20, that they are quickly leaving the house of God and running to the world. This one truth, teenagers, young people, young adults, it will absolutely bind you to the Savior. And it will seem odd at the very beginning because you're going to take this and you're going to try to fit it in with what I'm going to be saying from the text. But young people, listen to this. If you can capture this truth today, you will spend the rest of your life at the feet of Jesus and you will spend the rest of your life in the house of God. And I truly love this text right here. Heavenly Father, Lord, when you wrote your word, it was settled in heaven according to Psalms. That means that you looked down through human history and you gave us a book that is so up to date. Some would say that it's an old antiquated 
book that has no bearing on this 2020 year, but that's not true. Lord, it's relevant. It, it, it is so up to date. And God, I praise you for giving us a book. I praise you for giving us a house to where we can come look at the scriptures together and we can rejoice in what you've given us. Now, Lord, my words are, are very finite. My words are very limited to my 52 years of living and my education, lack thereof, my growing up. I'm limited. My mind is limited. I'm handicapped because I'm in the flesh. But Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit of God. You're the author. And Lord, as you live on the inside of us, Lord, please interpret, give us that spiritual nourishment that we have to have this morning. Bless as we listen with ears that should be spiritual. God, help us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Matthew 9 is where you find Jesus calling a tax collector. That's what Matthew was. If you take the Gospels in harmony, you're going to find out that this particular story is recorded in Mark chapter 2. It is recounted again in Luke chapter 5. But because this is Matthew's text and this is Matthew's testimony, then he leaves some things out in his own testimony. That when you read all three texts and you put it together, Monica, did I just see you? Hello. Xavier, good to see you. I, okay, if I call your name, it's because I've just recognized you're in the house. And uh, anybody see my wife? And uh, so anyway, just, just kidding. And, uh, and, and I got to stop. Or I'm a bad Bob. And, uh, but here you have the three Gospels give us a total picture. Matthew was a publican. Matthew was a tax collector or a tax harvester. This was his job. He was the son of Alphaeus. He, Jesus, Luke tells us that Matthew left all to follow Jesus. Mark tells us that the house where Jesus was eating in our text was actually the house of Matthew. He tells us in Luke that this was a great feast, that many people came in a great company of publicans and sinners were at the feast, and no doubt, and with all due respect to the profession of the IRS, there's no doubt that this party was a tax party. There's no doubt that this was a very attractive at this day and time to publicans, tax and sinners. There's no doubt that this party would not be something you would leave your children in the middle of. In fact, the Pharisees, if you'll look at Matthew chapter 9, in verse number 11, it says this, and when the Pharisees saw it. Now, in, in Mark's account and in Luke's account, they bring in another group. They bring in the scribes. So you have two groups here that are found throughout the marrying of all three passages that there's this great feast taking place and then there's the Pharisees. These are the self-righteous separatists of the day. These were those that stood aloof from mankind and they would judge mankind. These would be the snobbish religious bigots. These would be those who were too good to associate, but yet they wanted to see it to be able to judge. It's, it is amazing, is it not, that there are some people in society that, that want to peer in to how the heathen live 
not to help them, but to judge them. And then you have the scribes. Now, I did not really realize what a scribe literally did. Until recently, our medical profession has included in the emergency room a scribe. How many know what I'm talking about? You've been there. It is this, li- it is, it, it is this little, little iPad-looking thing, and off to the side, while the doctor's asking you questions, there is a scribe, and the scribe is very writing down exactly what you say. Now, now, now this is a great profession, okay? Unless, Brother Hicks, you are the patient, and the scribe is an old teenager. Because they're asking you personal questions. Like the doctor's asking you, y'all, do y'all get what I'm talking about? And, and I'm not going to reveal the questions, but they're personal. You know, because you're sick. And the doctor's asking you when, where, and, and, and so I'm trying to answer. And then there is this scribe standing off to the side. And I'm going to throw her under the bus. It, it, it is Rachel Quintanilla is standing off to the side And every time I answered, I would turn red. And every time Rachel would write, she would just raise the iPad and it would be like this. Rachel is my my son-in-law's sister and uh, we kind of went out Friday night and I can't look at Rachel. But because of the HIPAA law, she can't say a word. Praise God for that. And my weight said it should have been the HIPAA law. Amen. But, but know this, the scribes of this day, that they were taking note. The Pharisees would give what was going on and the scribes would be like they were the town clerk. And no doubt as Jesus is sitting with these publicans and these sinners and, and what the religious crowd said, well, this, this, this is the bad of the society. This is the dreg of the societies. The Pharisees were like, write this down. He's sitting with bad people. He's sitting with bad people. Write this down. He should not. He claims to be the Son of God. What is he doing with these kind of people? And no doubt the scribes and the Pharisees were taking to task. And as, as scribes and Pharisees do, they like to murmur. They, they like to, underneath their breath. But like I said in reading the text, Jesus has great hearing. And they say, what is thy master? Now, this is interesting. They chose the word master. What is someone with this education, someone with this expertise? Why would he even associate with such the low of the society? Jesus then answers this. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. You see, Jesus gave a spiritual diagnosis of the crowd. He said, this crowd is sick. This crowd needs healing. This crowd is terminally ill. This crowd is going to go to hell. This crowd is just living out their condemnation. And I have not come to call the righteous. I have not, my profession, my calling is not to go to the well people. My calling is to be right in the middle of where the sick people are. Jesus then goes on to give the prescription. You see, whenever a society is sick, they need help. 
But the Pharisee said, well, we need to help them, and before we can help them, they need a 12-step program. They need to get in on these steps for help. And by the way, isn't the world and man very good at giving you one, two, three, four, five, six? Everybody's looking for this kind of help. Help me get off of drugs. Help me get off the booze. Help me get off the liquor. Help me just get off this stuff. And if you'll just give me 12 steps, and I'm not against those. If you will give me the prescription, just what do I need to do? Quickly, give me the one, two, three, four, five, six, and give me the result. Jesus said this, I will have mercy, not sacrifice. What he was saying to the religious crowd was this. He was saying you want to fix them with rituals first. You want to fix them. You want them whole according to what satisfies your life. Boy, that's huge right there. Listen to that. And people in this day and time, they want our society fixed with no interaction. They, they want our society fixed by throwing money at our society. They want our society fixed by throwing programs. And, and I'm not against that. And praise God that we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth to where our forefathers knew that taxes are absolutely necessary to help that part of our society that otherwise they would have no help. And don't get down in our government just because people take advantage of our government. Our government's doing the right thing. Taxes do give us the ability to help the down and out. But our society doesn't need another self-help book. Our society doesn't need another course. Our society doesn't need a school. And the Pharisee said this, you know, we could fix this with our rituals. That's what the sacrifice was. But Jesus came along and he said this, as the great physician, I am not going to require of these people to do your rituals. So what did he say? I will have mercy, not sacrifice. So you know what the doctor's orders are? Mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus comes to this society, and it was his footprints. Please listen. This word mercy, its sister word in the, in, in, the, in the New Testament is the word compassion. This mercy, this compassion, listen to our Savior. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 15, then Jesus called his disciples and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Matthew 18, 27, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. Matthew 18, 33, shouldest not thou also have had compassion? John, Matthew 20, 34, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Jesus in Mark 1 was moved with compassion. Mark 5, Jesus said, go home to thy friends and tell them the, what great things the Lord hath 
done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Listen to this. What this world needs is not more Christians with a list. And then leave me alone. The church for so long, and I do not say that universally, I say that locally. The churches in every society for so long has been, let, let, me, let me help, but don't let me touch. Can, can I put on my sanitary gloves as I reach into the society, but please, I don't want to sit among them. Because if I sit among them, I may catch their disease. Listen. What this world needs is mercy, not sacrifice. What this world needs is not, it is not another program. What this world needs is mercy. You know, Brooke, there are stories I wish I could tell right now. But yesterday, the thing that amazingly happened in that living room is I did not step into your world with a list of do's and don'ts. We just simply sat down and we talked about mercy. And God came down. Kyra, you didn't need another list of one, two, three. You you just needed mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a world dying and going to hell. And if you and I don't get the doctor's orders, and that that is this, compassion is the connect with mankind. Did you hear that? Compassion is the connect with mankind. James said this, if you tell somebody that's in need, God bless you, have a good day, be ye warmed and filled, but you don't lift a hand to help anybody, that's not God. When God was moved with compassion, he fed them. When God was moved with compassion, he touched them. When God was moved with compassion, he was inconvenienced to make sure that not only did they walk away with their needs being met, but they walked away knowing that man loves me, that man loves me, that man loves me, that man loves me, and I'm convinced he loves me. And that is what makes church so powerful. It is the mercy. There are three things I want to tell you, and that is this. And now I go back to my original statement. I think that we all fear that our young people and even our young adults will see something in the world that will pull them and attract them. I think that the average Christian stands in awe of those in our society that are party animals and they, to some degree, go, well, well, maybe they're right. Maybe that is the way to live. They only see the alcohol on the billboard, but they don't see the back room. They only see the coolness of the kids that are high as a kite and their laughter, but they don't see the addiction. They, They don't see the skin and bones on this side. And do we not all fear that interacting with the publicans and interacting with the sinners and, oh, we can't, we got to stay away from that society and we can't be involved in that society. The difference is this. Listen, please. When you see their sickness, you won't want their sin. 
That's the difference. You see, young people, if you're always looking at the society that they're cool and they've got all the answers, then you will go after them one day. But if you truly can see how sick they are, I don't mean they're bad people, I mean they're sick. I don't don't mean they're terrible people, I mean they're without Christ. When I look at people that are just living this kind of lifestyle and their morals are not where they need to be and, and, and they, 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 they just wander the streets of our world. I think to myself, this is not time to make fun of them and this is not time to condemn them. This is not that time. You know what this time is? It's to have this compassion and it's to have this mercy on them. But how easy is it for us to sit secure in our Christianity and then see them and go, ah, make fun of them. May those days be completely gone in your Christianity. And may you look at them and realize they are sick. That is the reason why they get drunk. That is the reason why they do their drugs. That is the reason why they party. That's the reason why they're unfaithful to their mates. That's the reason. They're empty. They're sick. And Jesus knew this. They that are whole, need. they don't need me. You know who needs me? Those who are sick. And those who are on their way to hell. And those who have no hope. That's why I love my job. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Man, I wake up every day. And it's just like, I cannot wait to have a conversation today about Christ. I'm just hoping somebody says, I got a problem. You know the most discouraging conversation I ever have is when I look at somebody and go, how's your marriage doing? And they'll look at me and go, great. Oh. Like, good? No, great, pastor. Okay. Like, like, have y'all been in a fight? Oh, no, she's the best woman ever. Mm. Oh, but when somebody says to me, I got problems. Problems? Like you're in need? Y'all don't know this, but I have my pastor's superhero uniform on underneath this suit. And when somebody says, I hate my mother, it's like, then you need Pastor Bob. I mean, I got my cape, I got my, 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 my mask. I would say I have my tights, but that's ugly. <laughs> and I am telling you that what this world needs is for somebody to say, I know what you need. You need Jesus. And you need a little bit of compassion. Can you go ahead and put the quote up there, if you will, Mike? When a person has compassion for the world, they will not be conformed to the world. Did you hear that? When you have compassion, you won't be conformed. When you say, I've been called to heal the sick, then you don't want their sickness. You don't want the tragedy that they're going through. Listen, as pastor, I have never met, I have never gone to a domestic domestic dispute to where the wife has a black eye and a a bloody nose 
And I have never gone to anything like that to where I've said, oh, that's the kind of marriage I want. No, I've gone to those kind of situations to where it's like, let me help. Let me help. I have never gone to, a, to, a, to the hospital when somebody's tried to commit suicide and by taking drugs and they pumped this charcoal into their stomach and it's foaming out their mouth. And I've never gone and said, this, this is the life I want. I've always gone and said, I need to help. But I'll tell you where I made that transition, young people, is when I was 17 and I understood that I am to have compassion on this world. I don't want what the world has. I don't want its party life. I don't want its addictions. I don't want its waking up the next morning in a vomited state. I don't want that. But bless God, I know this. I can help. And me having compassion is not because of my profession. Me having compassion is because one day he had compassion on me. Boy, when we read those words, he loves me. You say, really, what made the difference in your world? Let me tell you what made the difference. I was surrounded by people who did not give me a ritualistic list. They just gave me mercy. They just gave me compassion. They, I knew they loved me. I knew that. You say, do you live a ritualistic life? Absolutely. But I live it because of the relationship. That relationship with the Lord. You see, he did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And I think we live in a society to where people are trying to shed traditions. Traditions are not wrong if those traditions are based on the relationship. You know why I come to the house of God every Sunday morning? As a tradition is because I have a relationship. Do you know why I have the tradition of being faithful to that woman down there? It's because I have a relationship. Do you know why I'm faithful to the the tradition of a hundred other things in my Christian life? It's not because of the tradition. It's because of a relationship. Relationship creates rituals. But what these Pharisees forgot was this. You don't heal the sick with rituals. You heal the sick with a relationship. Your marching orders this week, if I could give them to you. Is to stop judging people in your heart and coming up with a game plan to fix them. Drop the game plan. I'm going to use this by permission. I had an appointment yesterday, yesterday afternoon, that lasted for about two and a half hours. And in this two and a half hour counseling session, the person I was counseling with, they just kept talking. The more they talked, the more desperate they got. The more they just told me, the more they were like, I, there's no way out of this one. And they said, what would you tell me to do? And I said, I have one word for you. Jesus. And they said, it can't be that easy. And I said, it is that easy. I said, I want you to get along with the Savior. And I want you to spend some time with the Savior. And what you're going to find out is you will be okay. The Bible says this in John chapter 5. Search the scriptures. 
For in them ye think ye have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. Do you know what John was saying? You're looking for a set of fix-it out of this, but what you really need is to look for me in this. And when you find me in this, you will find what you need to do. Did you hear that? When you find Jesus, you'll find what you need to do. Because then he just takes over. It, it, it is so cliche-ish, is it not? Makes for a great t-shirt. Makes for a great bumper sticker. But how many times have we rejected it? Let go and let God. And how many times have we scoffed, oh, that's cute, and that? It's true. It is true. When you have tried everything to fix something, then you just got to be still and what? Know that I am God. My question for you is this. Do you have something in your life that you need to fix? And are you here today and you are like, you don't understand, Pastor. I don't ever tell anybody about this. But I have tried the one, two, three. This is a new year. We, we are 31 days now, 32 days into this year. And I have already broken the vows. I have already broken. It's just another year that I'm just going to be a failure. I started out this way and I just can't do this. Listen, what you need is mercy. What you need is compassion. And once you let Jesus love on you, then what you're going to find out is, is that motivation to just get your life where it needs to be is bigger than a checklist. If you're living your marriage with, well, okay, so I honored today, I obeyed today, I took out the garbage today, I cleaned the kitchen today, I changed the diapers today, I cooked the meals today, and if this is what your list is, and okay, now why are you still upset with me? Probably because you are checking off the list trying to get out rather than creating a list to get in. Have your kids ever got on in with this? Have your kids ever got out of bed when you told them to go to bed and they were like, I'm thirsty? Y'all there? Or I'm hungry. And how many times you looked at your 18-year-old and said, Go to bed? <laughs> I ran away from home one time. I'm, I'm gonna be transparent. I ran away from home. You know what I ran away from home on? My dad was working for GM. I was in the second grade. My mom and dad would not let me watch the $6 million man. No, it was on. Lee Major was in. And uh, come on now. We are at the height of the lunchbox era when it was a metal lunchbox with Lee Majors on. Can I get a witness now? Come on. How many of you metal lunchbox carriers would join my alumni association? Oh, yeah. You find a metal lunchbox with Lee Majors on it, I'll buy it from you. And uh, because they made somebody give you a hard time on the bus, you're like, bam, you couldn't do that with a paper bag. <laughs> Unless you had a good old-fashioned hard apple in there. But, 
you know, your mom and dad said, go to bed. I'm in second grade. So I'm like, we had a two-story colonial house, and so I'm peering over the banister, and I'm trying to watch that TV. My mama said, you get in that bed. I went back at two years old and said, I don't care what that woman says. I mean, second grade, third grade. I don't care what that woman's two years old Gerber babe. And uh, <laughs> I don't care what that woman says. I climbed out of the two-story house. Shimmy down the drain pipe, no shoes on, just socks. I walked three miles to our public school where I went to school at, and I'm hiding behind a bush. Then it dawns on me, my daddy going to kill me because the sun started going down. So I came all the way back home, only to find the police were coming down the street. They picked me up, took me back to the house, and my mom and dad said, where were you? And I said, I was praying at the school. And I'll never forget it. My daddy looked at me and he said, you were P-R-A-Y-ing. I'm going to P-R-E-Y on you. I'm going to whoop. And he whooped me. I was grounded for a month. That's a whole other story. But I was a runaway orphan in the second grade. Hey, let me tell you something. I have no idea where I was going with that story. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Right now, I'm like, somebody rewind me. Somebody rewind. I cannot believe I did that. They teach you in homiletics. Don't get off into a story you can't get back from. God's good. God's love. God loves you. Sometimes relationships go south. I hope ours did not just go south. You know, I still don't know where I'm at. Mer- Thank you, mercy. <laughs> Stop judging me in your mind. And uh, <laughs> oh, the uh, sometimes when we look at a society, this is not it. I'm just I'm just going to the next. That's why I looked at the next thing. Sometimes when we look at our society, you and I have got to understand that their greatest need. Is compassion. Let's stop judging them in our mind. That's where I was going. Let's stop judging them in our mind and let's understand their need. Sometimes your children are thirsty because they're scared. Sometimes your children are all of a sudden hungry because they're lonely. They just don't know how to tell you this. Sometimes you got to look past what they're saying to what their need is. Compassion. It is the connect. Mercy is the medicine. And if you young people finally want to cross over to where you don't go throw your life to the world, then have compassion on this world. And look at them like they're just sick. Why would I want to catch that addiction? And why would I want to catch that kind of lifestyle? Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your compassion on us. Thank you that 